0: Words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. Parable of the talents. That's quite a well-known one, isn't it? Probably some of you even switched off because you knew it so well. <laughs> Which is fair enough. Uh, so there's not much point in me preaching on that, because you all know what it means, don't you? So I invite you to turn around to your neighbour, if you want, and spend a moment. Talking about what you think the parable of the talent is about. So we'll get that out of the way to start off with. All right. I see that some of you are sneakily reading the pages. <laughs> <laughs> So, power of the talents. What do we normally think that's all about? Doing the best with what we've got. Right. So, I say that louder. Doing the best with what we've got. Doing the best with what we've got. And so, we read that word talents, and we think that's about our talents, and so it's about using our talents for the kingdom of God. That's what we often think, isn't it? Anyone got another view? I'm pretty sure I said something similar to that on Tuesday when we were talking about this. Does anyone have any nagging doubts about that, though? Any kind of feeling uncomfortable? What makes you uncomfortable with that? Right, so master was cruel, not very nice, and making interest of other people wasn't very nice either, okay? So, and that that is a problem, because sometimes we see the master as a kind of Jesus figure. This is in the middle of Jesus talking about... Uh, the fact that people are expecting Jesus to return after he dies really soon, and in Matthew's Gospel it's 40 or 50 years later and Jesus hasn't come back so how they're making sense of that and in the midst of that he tells the story so we kind of see this person as a Jesus figure, but he's a horrible Jesus figure I mean if that's Jesus, count me out I don't want to be following someone like that so there are problems with it and so I put all these kind of providers, like, um, well, I think it's about this, but there are things about this story that make me uncomfortable. The gnashing of teeth. Well, Matthew talks a bit about the outer darkness and the gnashing of teeth. So we may or may not get to that. So there are some alternative readings about how we might read this. And the first is that this isn't so much about our talents, but about God's generosity. So God gives... Five talents and two talents and one talent. And what we need to allow is that generosity and that goodness to flow through us to affect those around us. So that's kind of like the first understanding, except it's a lot less about us and our talents and what we need to do in the service of the kingdom. Because all of this kind of feels like I have to use my talents in the service of the kingdom, otherwise I'm going to end up in outer darkness. And then we come very close to saying that we earn our salvation. But standard Christian teaching is you cannot earn your salvation. It is a gift given by God, and there is nothing you can do to earn it. It's just a gift. You just have to respond to the gift already given. So, So that one kind of ties a little bit more neatly with how we understand salvation. It's not about us earning salvation, it's about God working through us. So that that feels a little bit more comfortable. But there is a, a second alternative reading which is really different, radically different from those first two. And it kind of takes a little bit more seriously some of the differences between Matthew's version of the story and Luke's version of the story. And if you want to read Luke's version of the story, it is in chapter 19, verses. Oh, I thought I wrote it down somewhere. Oh, yeah, 12 to 27. So. So Luke also tells the story in a similar kind of setting, but there are features of his story which are very different. And in his story, each slave is given 10 pounds, or minors or minors, I'm not entirely sure how to say that word. Now, the word talent, when we hear that, it's about about the kind of natural abilities we have, but actually in Matthew's Gospel, it's... uh, it's a currency, it's a denomination. So it's actually about money, the story. So, what's the difference between a pound or a mina and a talent? Well, one mina, one pound, was worth about a hundred denarii. And one denarii, well, let's start at the beginning. One denarii was one day's pay. So if you, worked for a, if you worked in a vineyard or something like that, you could expect to get one denarius. That would be your day's pay. A mina, or a pound, was a hundred denarii. So it was a hundred times a day's pay. So in Matthew's story, it's quite a lot of money that the servants are given. It's, a, it's um, They were given ten pounds each, which is ten times a hundred, which is a thousand days pay, which for those people would have been a lot of money. That's about three years worth of pay, in one hit. Amazing. Well, Luke ups the ante, and he talks about talents. And he ups the ante because one talent is worth about 6,000 denarii. 6,000. And that means that uh, the kind of money they're talking about here is a lot of money. It's about, if we kind of base that on the living wage campaign at the moment, it's about $900,000 we're talking about here. One talent. So it's huge. It's a huge amount of money. So the first slave who gets five talents is getting about $4.5 million. Here, have $4.5 million see what you can do with it. Second, one and a half, or 1.8 million, and the third gets 900,000. So a lot of money. So he's really ramping up the story. He's making it almost ridiculous, because the people who are hearing this story, that's the kind of money they can't imagine. They can see it, they can see it in in the Roman occupiers, and they can see it in the wealth of the Jerusalem leadership, but it's not the kind of money they will ever see in their lives. So, the second thing we need to remember is that until the late 1800s, wealth was always held in land. One of the big social revolutions that happened at the end of the Victorian era and then through the Edwardian times and kind of all came to a grinding Culmination during the First World War was that wealth moved out of land and into industry and property and, and not land anymore. And so in England, for example, the, the wealthy people were the landed people and they were the powerful people. They controlled everything. And what happened was as wealth moved out of the land, they controlled less and less because they became poorer and poorer. So when we're talking about all of this money, it's in land. And the only way you acquire more wealth, really, is by acquiring more land. So when Jesus is talking to the people he's talking to, these people used to be landowners. But they're no longer landowners because the debts they accrued once the Romans arrived through the taxation... And their land is now in the hands of, well, the Jerusalem leadership for a start. It's in other people's hands. Now one of the interesting things about that was we heard the story this morning of the, people, of the Hebrew people coming into the Promised Land. And one of the promises of being in the Promised Land was that every family would be given a share of that land forever. And part of the Mosaic law was that every 50 years, all debts were forgiven, and the land was returned to those families, so that every family had a share in the land forever. Well, here's all these people listening to Jesus who, for some of them, a lot of them, could remember when their family had land, and now they don't have land, and that particular promise is no longer holding true. So, and then Matthew tells the story, which is all about amazing wealth. So, the first two servants, they're given fabulous wealth, wealth beyond imagination, and they double it, which means they double the land holdings, which means even more people are driven off the land and become landless. The third servant he does the honourable thing. He protects his master's money by burying a hole in the ground and hiding it. Making sure his master gets his money back when he returns. No one loses their land. And there's a, there's a, a little line in there that we miss because we are so used to banks charging interest, aren't we? And some of us who have money like that because we get the interest and the rest of us are paying the interest and and we miss that in the Mosaic Law, it is forbidden to charge interest on a loan. Which is why in the Muslim world there are no there's no interest in their banking system because they hold the Mosaic Law. So, we kind of found ways around that, but interest is forbidden. So for the master to come back and say, you should have given it to the bankers who will charge interest, that's in direct violation to what the Mosaic Law says. And everyone listening to that story would have known that. But we cannot charge interest. So, how do we understand this story then? Well, in part, our understanding traditionally is shaped by answering two questions. The first is, who does the Master represent? And we say, well, the Master represents Jesus. And what is the it at the beginning of the story talking about? Right at the beginning, it said something like, if I can find the right For it is as if a man. And the it, we normally think, refers right back to verse 1 which was the very first verse of what we heard last week about the ten bridesmaids virgins, which Jesus started, uh, the kingdom of heaven will be like this, and then we think that it's two stories about the kingdom of heaven is like this. And so we think this is a story about using our talents in the kingdom of heaven. But some people suggest that actually the acrofew refers to the previous verse or the last verse of um, the story of the Ten Bridesmaids Virgins. And because we kind of chop it up and put a little title in there, we kind of miss that these actually originally weren't um, chopped up with a little title inserted. Our translators do that for us nicely, which is kind of convenient when you're trying to find these stories. But it's inconvenient because we miss how the flow of the stories work And in fact, the last verse of that says, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour, for it is as if a man. This is about waiting. It's not about the kingdom of heaven. It's about what it means to wait now. And so some people say that actually this is a story about waiting, and it's a story about as we are waiting not taking part in the economic system that charges interest and deprives people of the land. It's about standing outside of those things and being on the side of the poor and holding true to what the Mosaic Law was all about. That's a very different understanding of that story. One that we often miss. So... In the commentaries that I read, they talked about both, all three of those readings, and some were very excited about that third one, although also pointed out that meant that all their stewardship sermons based on that parable of the talents were a load of rubbish and they needed to screw them up and start again. And others went, we're not sure, it feels like we're going too far, and maybe we'll just hold true. with with our original understanding of the story. So I'm going to leave you to think about which of those three understandings of the story works for you. The traditional one, this is about our talents. The middle one, this is about God's generosity and us allowing that generosity to work through us. Or the third one, that actually this is about economic systems and our participation in them. And whether we participate in them or whether we stand outside of them offering an alternative. Your choice. So I'll let you think about that for a moment. And then Trevor will lead us with the creed.